lessons of, of growing older is humility, getting humbled. Most people don't think much about that. But let me just say, kids, before you go to children's worship, ask your parents uh, today at lunch or, or this afternoon um, about what it means when Jesus says to follow me and just see what they say. Um, it'll, be, uh, it'll be a good question for you guys uh, to ask. So, uh, folks over there for children's worship, you all look excited. Bob Littlepage, high energy man there, so y'all get on over there and uh, jump in on children's worship, okay? As uh, Kevin mentioned to you, we're starting a series today on uh, 1 Peter, and uh, actually we're not going to do a whole lot, we're only going to read the first five words uh, as, we, uh, as we get started on this, and um, <clears throat> it's um, uh, what I want us to do today as, as we get started on it is to kind of reintroduce ourselves a little bit to the man who wrote uh, these words that we're going to spend uh, uh, this fall and winter uh, on. Now, um, one of the things that is hard for us in our context when we come to the Bible is, is we, we think that the Bible was written simply to be read, like a book. Uh, but actually, most of the Bible was written to be heard, uh, read out loud uh, in, in worship. Right, and so, so one of the things that we'll we'll see today, and one of the things that we'll uh, see over the next several uh, weeks and months, is just how that happens. And so, one of the things I want to do this morning is I want to stop and pray a little bit, just for the the hearing of the word. Um, our uh, confession of faith, uh, which uh, you know says a lot about preaching, but one of the things that it says is is that a means of grace to the people of God is simply hearing the word read. Simply hearing the word read. That's a good thing for us. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of Bible in this uh, sermon today because one of the things we're going to do is we're going to look at a number of Jesus' interactions with the Apostle Peter. And so it's just, we're, we're just going to read a lot today and you're going to hear a lot uh, of the Bible read. So in light of that, uh, let, me, uh, let me pray and uh, we'll, get, we'll get started. Lord, we thank you today uh, for the Bible. It's, it's not something that we do very often, uh, uh, but uh, just because it's uh, so easily uh, accessed, and yet uh, today we are grateful that we have a written witness to you, to the gospel and person of Jesus Christ, uh, and to your, um, um, well, your great story of redemption. And so I pray today that as we... Uh, read a lot of uh, your words uh, that you would uh, enable us today to be opened up, uh, to hear, uh, to believe, and to respond uh, to your truth. Uh, Lord, we uh, know that uh, left to our own devices, uh, they'd just be words. And so we pray that your spirit would uh, empower and use them uh, in our minds, in our hearts, in our hands, and in our feet. Uh, we ask this today uh, in the name of the Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, First uh, Peter 1, uh, 1, uh, Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things that uh, is, is great is to, uh, and, and one of the, the, the best gifts that uh, uh, the people who know and love you can give you is a sense of you're not as important as you think you are. Uh, <clears throat> last Sunday when I got home after church, uh, uh, my, my dear wife said to me, so now that you're done with the Ten Commandments, what are you going to preach on next? Uh, and I didn't have a very gracious response to that because I said, well, we've only announced it three times in church about what we're going to do next, and so, uh, which, was, which made for a great lunch. And, uh, <laughs> and so what I realized about that is, wow, I think everybody is locked in totally on what I'm doing, and you're not. I didn't, you know, and that's not my fault, not my fault either. But uh, anyway, I just thought uh, that, that was that was really helpful. I I do want to take a minute to speak uh, very directly to why I think First uh, uh, Peter is a very uh, important uh, book for us to study at this particular uh, time. Peter is writing to people who are discouraged, to people who are suffering and to people who are struggling. And he wants to write to them about the living hope that is Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that I find to be very true for us is that hope is hard for us to come by. And the reason why I think it's hard for us to come by is most of us, many of us here, live very comfortably. And what we think when we want a restoration of our hope is not so much a hope that is out, that's bigger than us, but we'll just take God restoring our comfort. Just make it, just make me comfortable. Take away this particular thing, this particular entity, this particular whatever it is, and make me comfortable again. When what we see in Peter, and what we will unpack over the next several weeks and months, is the reality of something much bigger, that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again, and that all of our aspirations, all of our hopes, everything is bound up in him. That's particularly a necessary message for people like us in the day and age in which we live. Now, we'll certainly make uh, individual applications for this as we unpack this. But this was written for the church. It's written for the community. It's written for us. And it is written for a particular community of people who are struggling. To be hopeful and therefore uh, um, fruitful in the world in which God has called uh, them uh, to be and us to be as a community. Um, I read every week a magazine called Bloomberg Business Week. I would recommend it to you. Uh, there's nothing Christian about it, but I enjoy it. And so this, uh, a week or so ago, I was reading <clears throat> about Driscoll's. You know what Driscoll's is? You know when you go to the grocery store and the produce thing and there's the clamshell plastic thing with the blackberries, strawberries, uh, raspberries, that kind of stuff. 
They're a privately held company in California, Driscoll's, and they specialize in berries. And in fact, cool thing, there's a code on the bottom of every one of those packages and you can find out when those berries were picked. We eat a lot of berries at our house. I love strawberries. Well, uh, berry raising and berry production is in trouble. And it's in trouble, strawberry production, which is bad news, is in particular trouble in Northern California because for years, uh, strawberry producers used ethyl bromide on their strawberries, which nobody wants to use anymore because it's really bad. It's really bad. So they quit using it, and so they're, they're attacked by pests. There's, the climate is changing, all of these things. And so strawberry production is going down. And not only is strawberry production going down, but the flavor of the strawberries is going down as well. So there's a guy who works for Driscoll's, and his job is to make good strawberries. Every day he goes to work and he stops for breakfast at a Burger King, which was news to me. I did not know they had burger, they would allow Burger Kings in California, but. <laughs> right? Anyway, enough of those kind of comments. But uh, he notices every day in the sidewalk at his Burger King, a wild strawberry plant growing in a crack. And so, you know, this guy, his life is strawberries. So he looks at that strawberry plant every day. He watches it for two years, two years. And finally, he notices that it blooms. And when a strawberry blooms, it's just a matter of time until it has some fruit. Now this strawberry is situated in such a way, the strawberry plant, that it, um, a lot of car exhaust gets blown on it as people go through the drive-through in the Burger King. And so he thinks this thing, this is worth paying attention to. So finally, he comes by one day and there are two strawberries on the wild bush. He bends down, he picks one, and he eats it. And it's, stop that. <laughs> he ate it, he didn't give it to his kids. <laughs> And it is delicious. Maybe the best strawberry he's ever had. And so he picks the other one and puts it in a bag, takes it back to his office to get the seeds from that strawberry to figure out how to make strawberries better. Because if it can produce in a crack in the sidewalk at a Burger King, there must be something really good genetically in that strawberry. That's the church, that strawberry plant. Probably most of the world drove by that strawberry plant for years and did not even know it was there. It took it forever to produce any fruit and yet it persisted it persisted, it persisted, and in due season brought forth wonderful fruit. You see, 
I don't know if strawberry plants can do this, but I know for me to grow up and be fruitful in the place where God has placed me, I need hope. And a hope that won't disappoint. And so this man, Peter, who writes this, knows to the depth of his soul the necessity of our need, our desire, our hunger that we're actually dying for hope. Hope that won't disappoint. Hope that is real. Hope that is genuine. And so what I want us to do this morning is to look a little bit at what it means to see uh, and reintroduce ourselves a bit to this man named Peter. Now, um, one of the things <clears throat> that we, we need to, to understand about this is at the very beginning of this book, he identifies himself as an apostle. Now, apostle is a church word. It's a word we use a lot, and, and, and you may not know exactly what it, what it means. Well, apostles were uniquely called, equipped, and given authority by the risen Christ. Now, that's the thing that you have to see about them is the, the, the uh, uh, people that were uh, listed in the New Testament as apostles were unique. Uh, they were one of a kind. They were people who had been with Jesus, who had been commissioned by him after his resurrection to be the uh, the people who would carry forth the gospel, but not just carry forth the gospel, but to establish his church in the world. And so they had authority from him. They had gifts from him. They had direction from him. And they had hands-on experience with him such that what they said, what they wrote, and what they did was uniquely authoritative and for the purpose not just of establishing their own authority and not just of doing something on their own, but to plant churches all over the world. And that was, that was you know, we hear today, I guess there are some people who would call themselves apostles. And maybe, maybe you could call yourself an apostle with a little a in the sense that you have a, a ministry of proclamation of, of the gospel. But these men were unique. And when the last one died, the unique ministry and commission that they had died with them. But the fact that we have to see about that is these apostles, uniquely used by Jesus, and if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be here. Okay? Um, their job was to establish the church, not just to tell people what to do or how to be, but to proclaim Christ and to see communities of people who believed in Jesus, who followed him wherever they went. Next slide. So um, the first thing that we need to remember about this is, and maybe you've forgotten, that Peter's name was not Peter. That's not what his mom and dad named him when he was born. Uh, actually, his name was Simon, right? Uh, and he had a brother named Andrew, and one of the things early on we see that Jesus was about the business of giving him uh, a nickname. Jesus gave nicknames, by the way. He called, uh, <clears throat> he called two brothers the sons of thunder, and, and he called Simon Peter. In other words, he called him the rock, right? So uh, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. Now, this is one of the things that we're going to note a lot here is 
Uh, and it's worth you studying in, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus looks at somebody, or even more uh, tellingly, where he turns and looks at somebody. So he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Also, uh, what we, we see about this is, 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 is how profoundly Jesus reinforces this later in his ministry. When Jesus had come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. You're the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this, this thing about Peter, one of the things that we see about him is that, that Jesus uh, identified him. Jesus calls him no longer Simon, but he says, you're Peter, you're the rock. And, and we may hear that, and, and we see this great confession of Jesus at this key moment in his ministry where, where Jesus is saying to, the, to his followers, who do people say that I am? What's, what's going on here? What, what, what is the extent of my ministry? And Peter, gifted by God, given this gift from, uh, from Jesus' father, says, you're the Messiah, you are the one we have longed for. You are the one that the whole Old Testament was all about. You are the one that the longing and the aspirations of all those Old Testament saints was longing for. You're it. You're what we've been waiting for. You're what we've given our lives to. You are the, the Messiah, the very son of the living God. What a dramatic picture. And Jesus, anytime you see Jesus getting excited and commending someone and saying this, you, you should pay attention to that. Jesus sees that for what it is. And he commends Peter. He says this in front of all of the other disciples. You're Peter. That's the rock. That's the truth. That's what we stand on. That's what our lives are built on. That is, that's the hope of the world, right? Next slide. Uh, not only do we see that, that he's the rock, we also see that he's listed first in all the lists of the disciples. Whenever you read in Mark, Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, or Acts 1, when, the, when there's a catalog of the disciples give, given, his name is first. It's consistent. So whatever else may be said about him, he was in many ways considered kind of the lead guy, the guy who was at the very least uh, the one that heads all of these lists. And, so, and we'll see uh, in, um, in Acts where, at least in the early church, he's the dominant person. He and John are the ones that are uh, uh, sacrificing, uh, giving up almost everything to see uh, the, the church established there in Jerusalem. Um, he's often seen as the spokesman for the disciples. He says uh, what the disciples are thinking. Jesus tells a parable, right? And the disciples apparently have talked among themselves and they're like, what are you talking about? We don't understand what you're, what you're talking about. So Peter, you know, unembarrassedly says, explain the parable to us, right? Uh, so that's, that's one of the things that we have to see about him is he, he's the leader, he's the spokesperson, he's the rock, right? 
And you may hear that and you may think, not much solid for me. I'm not a very solid rock-like person. Actually, I'm kind of squishy. And I would like to say that I feel like my feet are planted on solid ground, but much of the time it feels like it's not. It feels like things are giving way underneath me. I'm giving away, going away. This this is really kind of disconcerting, and so I don't need another moral example in my life to condemn me. Well, but maybe some of you are thinking, I'm just like that. If I was one of uh, Jesus' disciples, I'm just like Peter, he would make me the spokesman. <laughs> He'd make me the one that says all the great things, right? Um, I don't know how many of you are out there. If you really thought that, make an appointment with me this week. <laughs> <laughs> We're also going to see that he has feet of clay. Right after this great profession that Peter makes, where you would think it would be the high point of his ministry, where Jesus commends him as the rock. Jesus says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. Now, you know, Peter does not want to embarrass Jesus. You know, look, I know you're saying this, but let me help you here. This is inappropriate. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're in the way. You are you're an obstacle. Uh, for you're setting your mind on the things of God, uh, not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so one of the things that we have to see about him is, is is that uh, one of the things that's true of him is true often of us, right? Uh, How many of us are setting our minds most often on the things of man? How many of us most often have a sense of that, uh, that what Jesus is doing here is absolutely necessary, that his death and his resurrection are, are key, right? Uh, the, the fact of the matter is Peter looks at him and says, wait a minute, I, I, I didn't hitch my wagon to you for this. I, I didn't hitch my wagon to you so that what, this is going to end up in some kind of suffering or some kind of dis, uh, uh, difficulty or some sort of disappointment. And, and this business about rising from the dead, what are you talking about? Jesus, you need to quit talking like that, and you need to understand that the reason why you're here is to lead us on to better and better and better things. And that suffering, difficulty, pain, that's not one of them, right? But Jesus isn't having any of that. So whatever else may be true of Peter, one of the things that's certainly true about him that's true about us is we would love to have an argument with Jesus about the way he's managing his affairs, right? About the way he's managing our lives, right? We think we could tell him better about what it is that he's trying to accomplish and a better way to do it than he's doing it. And then probably the the, the, a story we're most familiar with about Peter's failures is uh, near the end of Jesus's life, it says they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him, 
as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, an hour, he's done it twice. You know, in the movies, they can't stop for an hour. You know, this always happens really quickly. But he sat there for an hour after he's denied him twice. An hour. Still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. You know why he knew he was a Galilean? The same way I know some of you are from southwest Virginia. The same way I know some of you are from Massachusetts. The same way I know some of you are from Alabama. He talked a certain way. He had an accent. It was giving him away. But Peter said, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I think it's worth noting. If you live uh, in the first century, why would Jesus say before the rooster crows? Why didn't he say before the sun comes up? Because the rooster crowing is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. That's how people woke up in the morning. We have new neighbors, and they have a pug who's part rooster. His name's Tony. I've gotten to know Tony early in the morning. Tony and I are friends for a while anyway. So, I, some of you, I think, have urban chickens, right? Don't you? Some, isn't that the cool thing? You have chickens even though you live in town? Well, to have really good urban chickens, you need a rooster. And uh, they start growing early in the morning. Well, in the ancient world, roosters are everywhere. So every morning for the rest of his life, he heard a rooster crow. What do you think that was like? Think that built his self-esteem? Actually, I think nothing could have been better to wake up every day with the reminder of your sin and the reminder of the goodness of God. The grace that was there in Jesus' death for you. Lest we forget, lest we forget how good the gospel is, God was good to remind this man probably every day from that day forward about his need 
of Jesus. I can't think of a better way to start the day. I'm a sinner. Jesus loves me. I'm redeemed. Two key interactions now between Peter and Jesus that kind of bracket Jesus' interaction with Peter uh, in his life. And I think this is a, a good place, a, a good thing for us to, be, uh, to, to see this. When walking by the sea, this is early in, um, uh, in Jesus' ministry, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, you know, a lot of people read that and they think, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Well, the, the fact is, you, you misread the text if you think Peter had never heard of Jesus by this point in time. He had an idea who, of who Jesus was, and, and uh, um, he's not some kind of dissatisfied worker who who's, you know, finds that his talents are being uh, unused uh, in the family business <laughs> or uh, that he, he thinks, you know, I can find more meaningful employment or this is my dream job following Jesus, right? Uh, the, the fact is, there's something compelling about this. Peter had heard, had seen enough of Jesus to make him drop what he was doing to go and follow this man. And going on from there, he saw, Jesus saw two other men, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, one of the things that I think is, is so powerful about this is, and uh, for many of you, uh, one of the things that Peter will speak to us, you ever worked in a family business? Well, Peter did. He knows what that's like. Uh, he also knows what it's like to have the compelling call of Jesus Christ. I imagine if we'd stopped him or James or uh, John or Andrew and said, what are you doing? I'm not even sure they could have said what they were doing. But there was something compelling about this Jesus that made them drop what they were doing and go follow him. Well, later, after Jesus dies, after Peter denies him, and after he's raised from the dead, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others, um, I always thought of myself as one of the others. I didn't get a name, but, you know, I'm in the credits as an extra, right? Right? And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, now, now people have, have read this to, to, over the years to say, well, he went back to his old life. I don't think that's it at all. Jesus has already appeared to them. Peter already has a sense that Jesus has been raised from the dead. I think he's just trying to do something. He knows how to fish. It's something he can do. It's something he can complete. It's something, as, as a man, he thinks, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go fish. And there's nothing wrong with that. We, I used to, my job here used to be every day to go out and get the mail and bring it in so that, that for at least, you know, every day I could start a task and complete it. Uh, we've changed that now, and... Uh, the mail gets brought in to the office, and so I, I'm going to need counseling because I don't, I'm unable to, to sort that out. So he's just going fishing, and they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. 
Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, actually you could translate that boys. Boys, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, but about 100 yards. Wonder what that was like when Peter was alone on the beach this few minutes with Jesus. We don't know, but I wonder what that was like. The other thing to note about this text is uh, the details. They were about 100 yards off. Here comes another detail. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, only fishermen count 153 fish, right? And I think it's not unusual to say a guy that can haul a net with 153 large fish in it He's an impressive guy, physically, right? Pretty big guy. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then Jesus and Peter had this encounter. Next slide, please, Megan. When they finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, notice what he calls him. He doesn't call him Peter, he calls him Simon. Son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know exactly, I don't know exactly what that more than these is. Some people have interpreted, do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than fishing? I don't, I don't know about that. I think given what happens later, I think he's saying, do you love me more than these other men? Now, I don't think Jesus was purposely setting up a contest about who loved him the most, but he's rebuking Peter's pride. You said you would love me, so do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. He's, did you get the theme here? Follow me, follow me. You would think that would be enough. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also had leaned back against, uh, back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man now? Another reason why we should study Peter, or, or not, depending on how you look at it, because nobody in here 
compares themselves to anybody else, ever. Right? Ever. So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And Peter saw him. He said to Jesus, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. Follow me. Peter is tending his sheep this morning through this epistle. He followed Jesus. He's still following Jesus and his words witness to this Jesus even today. But what does it mean for Jesus through Peter to say to you to follow him? Now some of you hear that and you think, well, I'd love to follow him, but I got too many dirty diapers. I'd love to follow him, but I've got, um, I'm sick. I'd love to follow him and do something great. But in fact, I, I, I'm just stuck. Here's the thing. Wherever you are, wherever you go, what, Jesus may indeed be calling you to go to Africa or to Turkey or to wherever. But he may just as well be saying, follow me right here, right now, today. I've given you what I want you to do right here, right now, today. Trust me. Follow me. Speak. Live. Eat. Sleep. Right where you are, following me. Jesus might lead you into cancer. He might lead you into unemployment. He might lead you to another place. He might lead you to just what you perceive as a mundane existence, raising your family or living in your job or doing the thing right there, but you're following him. Now, here's the thing that makes following Jesus, wherever you are, so remarkable, is when we look at these texts and we see Jesus leading his disciples, you know what he does all the time? He turns around and he looks. He turns around and he looks back at us. Not because he's scared nobody's following him, but because he knows we need that look. We need that reminder that he is the one that is indeed leading us and that we see him and that where he goes, wherever he takes us, whether it's to Jerusalem to be killed, whether it's to Rome to bear witness and maybe be martyred, wherever it is, Peter knows that the best place to be, the safest place to be, the greatest place to be is following Jesus. He knows that because Jesus knows Peter and he forgave him. Knows Peter and he died for him. Knows Peter and he has given him a ministry and a place. And it's simply follow me. If you follow Jesus... 
you can follow him even into death. And he'll turn back and he'll look at you and he'll lead you through it. That's hope. That's why we need to read and to look at what this man has to say to us. Let's pray. Lord, um, this is uh, challenging to us and uh, so uh, profound in many ways. Um, We uh, would chafe and uh, not particularly care for the place where you may be leading us. And yet, Jesus, you continue to turn back and to look at us and simply say, follow me, because wherever you go, that's the best place for us to be. Help us to trust you with that. We are uh, notoriously forgetful and notoriously, um, well, um, rebellious in that we think we know better about where you should take us. Help us with that. And so as we wade into these words of this uh, man who followed you, uh, and uh, he followed you by tending us, by feeding us, as he will these next several weeks and months, would you meet us? Would you keep turning back and looking at us, seeing us, hearing us, walking with us, and telling us to follow you? Lord, um, we uh, we need that, but you know that already. And so I pray that you would continue that work in our hearts and in our lives. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.